Thanks for joining us today at Liberty City Podcast. Liberty City values each person's unique experience of faith, and we hope that this word impacts you today. Hi, Liberté Church, or Liberty Church, whatever we're saying, wherever we're from, Francophone, Anglophone roots. And greetings to pastors Levi and Nadia, Mary Church, who I met in Australia last year. My God, I love your pastors. You are blessed. I actually got to go to Nadia's old stomping grounds in New Zealand um, in Tauranga. Nods, I think I crushed that pronunciation. Um, spoke at a church there in um, February of last year. And she is from a really beautiful part of the world. And she gave it up to live in Ottawa. And yes, that hurts. I know it hurts. But as a Canadian, you can take that from a Canadian. I am from Ontario. Uh, my name's Nathan. My dad pastors a small church in a small town. 1,800 people in northwestern Ontario, uh, about two hours north of Toronto towards Sobble Beach area. And I live in Palm Springs, California. Hence, I have a t-shirt on. It was 29 Celsius today. It was pretty good. And I don't miss Canada. And I feel bad for you that you are locked down. You guys are, seriously, you are suffering so hard right now with all the lockdowns and the craziness. And... Um, no, I love Canada, but man, it's, it's hard to be a Canadian right now and living in, in, uh, in, in lockdown. But I was talking to Levi uh, a couple days ago and he was telling me how they've just been stewarding their time and doing well. And so I, I applaud you if you've been suffering and I applaud you if you feel like you've been making gaining ground. I applaud you if you're barely hanging on. I'm sure that a little bit of everybody is represented there. And by the way, I like the name of your church. I did recommend when they told me that they were planning a church in Ottawa, I told them, what if you call it Tabernak de Bobak Church? And uh, they didn't really like it. And then I was, okay, well, I have another one. I'd like the table, Tabernak de Bobet. And they didn't like that one either. And then I threw one more at them and it didn't stick. It was Tabernak de Bobin. So then you guys got Liberté. So, you know, it is what it is, okay? I tried to make your church have a cool name. Didn't work. So, all right. Um, I am going to preach from the Bible today. I'm actually going to be looking at one, two, three, four, five different verses. Five verses in one. I know. Five of them. So we're going to look at five verses. If you are taking notes, this talk or preach, whatever you want to call it, is called Yod with Kabod. Yod with Kabod. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into this thing. Father, I thank you for the Mary Church family, and I thank you for what they're doing in Ottawa, and I thank you for their passion for Canada. And God, I thank you for the church there that that is just on fire and a church that you're building and a church that Jesus you care about and that you are actively involved in a church, Holy Spirit, that you are stirring in and you're blowing upon the embers of this church. And so, Father, I just thank you for what you're doing. And would you continue to do what only you can do? And that is 
um, just create us into the image of Jesus Christ. I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would cause this message to become flesh. And we thank you for your word. We thank you that as we read your word, Holy Spirit, you speak powerfully. Amen. Okay, so I'm married. I'm married to Jasmine. Jasmine is Australian. And they say it takes uh, seven years for people to, seven years is like the divorce numbers. That's the magical numbers, the average that people stay together. And then they're like, this is this sucks. And they get uh, divorced. We're in year seven. And um, so it's pretty exciting. And the reason why uh, people, they say that, or Tim Keller guesstimates that the reason why people get divorced at year seven is because we are manipulators. Human beings are incredible manipulators and we love, we're control freaks as well. And we like to control narratives. And the, one of the ways that we control narratives and manipulate is by projecting onto each other the idealized spouse, the idealized spouse. Um, what would that look like? Well, it would look like um, for seven years, you know, you're, you're thinking like, no, any person that I would marry would love my spaghetti. My spaghetti is world famous and it's my Nona's recipe, like the marinara, and it's really important. And I would never marry somebody who didn't like Italian food. And so for seven years, you know, your husband's going, you know, I'm not, I like this, but I'm not really wild about it. But you don't hear that because it's, you're living in your world and you're projecting onto him. He loves Italian. He loves my, you know, and because we don't listen, we have trouble listening and, uh, finally, year seven, you know, it's like it's he's really he's getting louder and he's like, yeah, I don't like this anymore. I don't want to eat spaghetti. I don't like that marinara. I don't know. There's something about it. Well, you told me that you loved it. When we were dating. I was being polite, you know, like and um, so year seven is where people we, we can't control the narrative no, any longer and the wheels sort of begin to fall off. And so people people begin to wake up and look at each other in the morning going, who am I married to? Who, who are you? And um, so my wife and I, I feel in many ways we're sort of in that year and we're, it's actually interesting because you have a decision to make. You either get, recommit to getting to know that person and listening better or the wheels fall off. And so we're on that journey of listening. And maybe this is more me than my wife because I think that women are actually better at this than men are. Um, but listening and, you know, getting to know Jazz, getting to know all about her. And um, that's what a relationship, how relationships work. You ask any relational expert, they'll tell you that you, in relationships, you got to listen, do a lot of listening. And so that's what we're doing. It's primarily, that's what I'm doing. I'm listening to my wife, shutting my mouth, letting the sounds go into here and listening, thinking about them and computing them and pondering them, observing my wife. Um, there's certain things that I've, I know that she's done, but I just haven't paid, paid attention to them. I'll give you an example. So I'm a Canadian. You guys already know this. My wife is Australian. You already know this. Australians like avocado toast. I knew that my wife liked avocado toast, but the way that I listen is through my Canadian lens. Growing up in, in rural Canada, toast was like just something that we wouldn't necessarily eat. We'd like if you went to a cafe or you went to a truck stop or you know whatever, some pancake joint and you get a breakfast, you get ham, bacon, links, you know, 
eggs, maybe some mushrooms. And they bring the bread on the side, right? And the, the toast. And so you eat all the important stuff. And then, you know, you wipe your face with the toast and throw it on the ground because toast is essentially garbage in Canada. Well, in Australia, toast is like a main course. When you go to a cafe in Australia, or perhaps in New Zealand, it's the same way. You know, like the, the main dish isn't like a farmer's, you know, a good morning farmer's breakfast with all the meats, right? Their main thing is like they're, they're the crown jewel on their on their menu is going to be their avocado toast. It's very silly uh, for, for me. So so my wife's all about it. So, you know, I'm I love Jazzy and I want to make her happy and I want to understand what it is about her. So this last year, I've been like kind of like realizing that it's not just toast. It's sourdough. It's so I'm starting to pay attention to some of the details. Okay. She likes sourdough. And then she, you know, I just go to the store and I get avocados. Well, she like goes, she picks, she picks them up. She feels them. You know, if they're ripe, there's, there's a certain type of ripeness of avocado that Jazzy needs. It can't be too soft, but it can't be too hard. It's got to be just right. And these are some nuances that I'm learning. And so when I, gosh, when, I, when I'm at the store and I'm thinking about jazz, you know, and I'm, oh man, I want to bring something home and make her happy, get thick cut sourdough bread, okay? Because it's sourdough toast, what she wants, right? Then I'll find the, find the right avocados, touching the tops like she would. And, and, um, and I know what to order her, you know, if, if I'm going to get breakfast, you know, from a cafe, I, I know that avocado toast, is, you know, with maybe a poached egg is going to be, she's going to go nuts, right? I don't want to love her the way that I want to be loved because the way that I want to be loved is with all of those meats that she might not be necessarily interested in. Um, I want to love her the way that she wants to be loved and her preferences and her preference is avocado toast. And, um, because I love jazz, that's what I'm going to bring home when I want to love her. And now, um, as a Canadian, you know, her her choice to make toast, which I honestly, I still think that toast is ridiculous. Um, I could never imagine myself just being satisfied at a breakfast eating avocado toast. It's just ridiculous to me, even though I've tried it a number of times. And it's not bad. It's just that if I had the choice, right? But... Jazzy's a person and people have preferences and you don't begrudge people their preferences, right? Like, can you, can you agree with me that people have preferences and that's just life and you just sort of deal with it and you don't begrudge them. You don't get hostile towards them. You just accept people's personal preferences because they just have them. However strange you might consider them. God is a person God is not an impersonal cosmic force. God is a person. And as a person, he has preferences. Now, to make it a bit more complex, you're in a relationship with him. Which means that in this relationship, you allow him to self-define. You don't project onto him what he may like or may not like or try to love God the way that you want to be loved. No, you allow God to self-define. You find out what his preferences are. And by the way, he has them. God has a lot of preferences. 
and you find out what his preferences are, and then you love him by giving him the avocado toast. And that is Christian worship. Maybe you've heard people talk about, you know, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. I don't mind that. Um, and I would agree in a lot of ways. Sure. Okay, let's toss out the word religion and all of its, all the skeletons in its closet. And let's use the word relationship. But I caution you, relationship is, is twice as hard. I would take a religion over a relationship any day. Being seven years on this side of marriage and knowing what is, like, what a relationship actually costs you. You know, a relationship doesn't mean that you get to do whatever you want. I think that a lot of people use that term to sort of allow themselves this sort of space in their relationship with God, when really it's just a type of spirituality. It's not governed in a relationship. In a relationship, you listen. You don't get to do whatever you want. Let me tell you, in my relationship with my wife, I don't get away with much. There's things that I have to do. There are responsibilities in my relationship with my wife. How much more would there be in a relationship with God? You know, of which, by the way, you are the benefactor of, right? You, you get to be in a relationship with God Almighty, the creator of the universe. That's pretty freaking amazing. So Christian worship, what is Christian worship? Christian worship is finding out what God likes and giving him the avocado toast. And that's where we're going today with the rest of our time. We're gonna examine a number of scriptures and begin to find out, okay, in Christian worship, like why, why do we do what we do? We do what we do because we're, we're in a relationship with God and we're trying to love him appropriately. All right, you guys ready? Let's go into our first passage here. Our first passage is Psalm 141. I'm reading in the ESV. And Psalm 141, verse 2, a little bit of context. Most scholars believe that this is a Psalm of David. And it is a Psalm uh, of David on the run. David is in the, dwelling in the caves. He wants to be in Jerusalem where the tabernacle is. He wants to be in the tabernacle because that's where the Ark of the Covenant is. That's where, you know, God's holy presence is. And that's where the, you know, the furniture is and everything. And... Um, so the tabernacle is, uh, what David begins to do is pray through the furniture of the tabernacle in this passage. And so he says this, let my prayer be counted as incense before you. And the lifting up of my hands is the evening sacrifice. As in, Lord, let my prayer, like when I pray, I, I can't be with you right now. Like I can't be in the tabernacle. I can't be before your presence right now. Um, but let my prayer be counted as the incense before you. Now, in the Holy of Holies, the Holy of Holies was God's green room. And the Ark of the Covenant was there. Remember the Ark? Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Remember it was the gold-plated thing? God's presence on earth. If you open it up, it melts Nazis' faces off that Ark. Okay. So you got the Holy of Holies in the, in the tabernacle. God's green room. There's a thick curtain across the Holy of Holies. And just outside of that curtain is a little table with a uh, bowl of incense on it. And the priests were to keep that bowl of incense burning perpetually right in front of the ark, just outside of the curtain. And um, we see, um, so, so David is going, God, when I pray, would it be like incense that's before you? As in like, I'm right outside of your green room 
and it's the incense that's, it's the closest I could possibly be. Could my, even though I'm out here and I'm not at the tabernacle, could my prayers be like that incense that's right out? And God's going, yes, yes, when you pray, it's, in fact, it's exactly like that. Because we, as we see in the book of Revelation and the book of Ezekiel, that that temple layout is actually God's throne room. And we see that the prayers of the saints in the book of Revelation are the incense. It's the prayers of the saints. It's incense that's coming up before the Lord. Um, pretty cool stuff. And so David, desiring intimacy, is praying now prophetically and recording all this. And then he, he turns to this next part and he goes, And God, the lifting up of my hands... Like when I, so I'm praying to you and I, my mouth is moving and I'm talking to you, you know, would that be considered just right close to you that you're hearing it? And God, when I lift my hands to you, would that be like the, the, the evening sacrifice? There's a morning sacrifice and there's an evening sacrifice. And, and um, David knows what God wants, right? So he knows that the Lord has asked for sacrifices. He, 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 lambs and goats and all that stuff. And, and people would come before the Lord and they would, they would, you know, there was a rule in the law, the Mosaic law, like don't come before the Lord empty handed. You know, it's, it's pretty simple stuff. It's like, you know, don't show up to somebody's house that you've been invited to empty handed, bring a bottle of wine. Don't be a loser, you know? And so, you know, it's just showing that, Hey, I'm in this. I care about you, right? When you show up with something, you're not, you're, 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 you're telling the hostess, Hey, we thought of you. We care about you. Even if it's a $2 bottle of wine and it's basically gasoline, it's the thought that counts, right? But if they bring something that's a $30 or $40 or $50 bottle of wine, it's like, wow, man, these people really love... It's, it's just it's that type of interaction. Um, is how, It's just how humans work. And, and God knows this. And so he wants us to bring, to show for a chance for us to show that God, my heart is in this relationship. And so David's going, God, I want, I want you to know that I'm in this relationship. But, you know, and I want to show up before your presence, but I'm over here. I can't be at the tabernacle. But God, could this be something that it's like something that you've asked for that, that pleases your heart and bless you? When I lift my hands to you and God's like, dude, yes. And once again, David is, is prophetically anticipating New Testament worship, as we're going to see in a second here. Now, the Hebrew word for hand is the word yod, Y-A-D, yod. Of course, that's an English transliteration. So yod. And if, you've got a, if you're listening to this message, um, would you do an audience participation moment for me really quickly? Just, show, you know, bring, just put up a yod. Okay, hold your yod there, okay? Just keep your yod there. That's your hand. And, um, and then I want you to just wave your yod like that. Just shake the yod. Shake that yod. Great. Good job. Okay. To wave the yod or to shake the yod means to yada. It's yada. To wave the hand. And yada is the Hebrew word for praise. The root being yod and the waving, you know, that's what we translate. So you've probably heard the term yada before actually, but you've just not heard it in its, um, in its, in the Jewish. You've heard it in the, in the, the, the English transliteration of it, which is Judah. There's a hard J there. And Judah is, of course, a danger. It's a tribe. Um, it's people's name. But it literally means praise. And so my point here being that, you know, the lifting up of my yod to you, God, which is the literal term here, that this is where the, the idea of praise 
comes, that, that this is what God loves. He loves praise. And for the Hebrews, praise always involves the hand, the waving of the hand, okay? Now check this out. We're going to fast forward to Hebrews 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. The writer of the book of Hebrews is going to basically copy and paste Psalm 141 and drop it right into Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verses 15 and 16. Um, most scholars actually believe that, that the book of Hebrews, because the Greek is so strange and technical, it was written in Hebrew first, and then it was, it was translated into Greek later. Uh, idea simply being that in this passage, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. That sacrifice of praise concept is right out of Psalm 141 verse 2. Like, what the heck is a sacrifice of praise? Oh, we know what a sacrifice of praise is. The lifting of my hands is like the evening sacrifice. It's something that pleases the Lord. It's something that he's into. God likes hands. And so, how do we know about this? From Psalm 142. When, when Psalm 41, when, when David was like, I can't bring you this, but I can give you this. And God's going, yeah, bring me that. Right? So it's a sacrifice of yada to God. And, of course, then the, the, the Hebrew writer is going to um, pivot and he's going to say, you know, that is the, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. As in, like, that's the first part of Psalm 141, uh, verse 2, which is, the, you know, the prayers, the mouth, and it's the hand, lifting of the hands um, and giving thanks and recognizing, like, Lord, I'm here for you. I'm just thankful to you. And because I'm thankful, I want to give you something. We used to sing this song when I was a kid in our church. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house hey, of the Lord. We bring the sacrifice of praise yeah, into the house hey, of the Lord. And we offer up to you the sacrifices of thanksgiving. Horrible song. Worst song I've ever heard in my life. But great theology. We were singing about our jobs which was to worship the Lord because we're a priesthood. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. All right, let's hit pause here on this whole message. Nate, you're freaking me out. You keep on saying the word sacrifice. It's a little concerning. Are we going to, I thought this was a Christian church. I thought the sacrifices are canceled. What's going on? Are we going to sacrifice a lamb? No, it's COVID, it's through video. And I tried doing it earlier. I'm, this is actually a retape. I got blood all over me. I'm kidding. Um, no. So Jesus, let's talk about Jesus and his sacrifice for a second. So Jesus was a once and for all unique sacrifice for sin. Okay. Jesus is once and for all, never to be repeated, unique sacrifice for sin has totally canceled out the debt of sin and the damage of sin for all of those who appropriate his sacrifice by faith. As in, they, they spread the blood of Jesus Christ on the doorpost of their life. That little that story of the, of the, the, the Israelite people in, um, in Egypt on, on, during the Passover. You might have seen you know, that awesome movie, um, Prince of Egypt. If you haven't, I feel sorry for you. Go and watch it tonight. But there's this part where they spread the door, the blood on the doorpost. And that's what we do by faith. When we say, Jesus, I believe you and I receive you. I want to be a Christian. You, you apply Jesus's blood 
the, the sacrifice lamb, the, the Passover lamb to the doorpost of your life, and the, the angel of death passes over you. It's really, really cool. The Bible is full of these awesome types and symbolisms and stories that are anticipating other stories. It's pretty incredible. So there are no more sacrifices for forgiveness. Jesus' sacrifice was once and for all. It's done, not to be repeated. It is finished, is what Jesus said. You don't have to sacrifice for forgiveness anymore. Okay. But as Christians, because we're in relationship with God, because he's the one that canceled our debt and died for us, we sacrifice to him from security. We don't sacrifice for forgiveness. We sacrifice from forgiveness. We don't do works to get God's pleasure. We do works from God's pleasure. It's a completely different situation, but it doesn't mean that we don't sacrifice, that there's no works anymore involved because you're in a relationship. And if you are in a relationship and know every husband and every wife shouted amen, there is sacrifice involved because that's what makes relationships work. It sucks. It's horrible. It's hard work, but that's what gives it life. Somehow we miss this. We think that you know, we, 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 it, it's almost like we pit the, the grace message against the rest of Scripture and we forget that we're supposed to embody this thing and it's supposed to be incarnated and we're, we're called to some things. Grace is not opposed to works. Grace is opposed to merit. Thinking that you can somehow deserve or earn. No, you can't. Grace actually empowers works. All right, let's keep going. Really, what we're getting at here, and this is where it all begins to come together, is 1 Peter 2.5. This is Peter talking here. And he says this, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. A holy priesthood. Say it with me, a holy priesthood, a holy priesthood. I'm a priest, you're a priest, we a priest, a lot of priest stuff going on up in here because we're a priesthood. If you didn't know, now you know that you're called to be a priest and priests do two things. They minister to the Lord and they minister to others. They minister to the Lord first and foremost that's their primary role. Your primary job as a priest is to minister to the Lord. And then secondarily, to minister to other people. Do not, oh, here we go. Let's keep on reading. A holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. That's what priests do. It's their job to offer spiritual sacrifices. If we go back to Hebrews 13, verse 16, it says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. It pleases him. It delights his heart. And you want to do that because you're in relationship with him. Are you seeing this now? You're called to be a priest. See, this is part of my concern. And this is really, to be honest with you, why I'm preaching this message. Why Yod with Kabod? I'm going to give you three reasons why Yod with Kabod. I'm going to give you three points. But really the why behind this message is because I'm concerned that 
You and I, when we're outside of church, we are Yelp reviewers. Reminds me of my favorite South Park episode when all the parents become uh, maniac Yelp reviewers. You know, they're, they're these keyboard warriors and cracking their hands and reviewing everything in sight. And, you know, it's, it's, it drives the town crazy. It's the best show ever. Best, uh, I shouldn't say that. Okay, I'm sorry. Pastors shouldn't watch South Park. Um, so, but it is the, it's the world that we live in. We live in a free market society, which is good. And we vote with our dollars. That's good. And we expect a certain level of service. That's good, right? So you go to Tim Hortons and you order a double-double, you know, roll the room to win. And you get six-pack of Krillers. And you go home, right? And the Krillers are a total dive bomb, right? They didn't put sugar in your coffee, right? You go on Yelp, no stars. Um, you go to Swiss Chalet or Saint Hubert, Saint Hubert, and you order some chicken, and you order some, you know, eighteen million extra chalet sauces, and you sit down, and they bring over no chalet sauces. Your fries are cold, and the lady's giving you attitude. You go on Yelp, you're like zero stars. Do you know what I mean? Like because because that's what we do. We review because we're living in a consumeristic society. And voting with your dollars and, and giving people feedback, that's what you do. It's everywhere. We Everything's based on serves. I'm never going back there again because they treated me horrible. What can happen is this leaks into the church. So when you show up on Sunday morning, you're not showing up as a priest, which is your job, which is your highest calling. You see, because as a priest, you don't come to church for you. You come to church for him and for his you're on duty when you come to church because you're a priest. It's your job to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are pleasing to God. So you find out what those spiritual sacrifices are. Point number one for this sermon, God likes Yod. God's into hands. I don't know why, but he's into it. Psalm 141, Hebrews chapter 13. He's into hands, okay? He's, of course, he's into good works. He's into a number of different things, but he loves hands. That's one of the reasons why we worship the way that we worship. We lift hands to the Lord because that's his avocado toast. And because you're in relationship with him, you give him what he wants because he's been so good to you and he deserves for you to lift your hand to him and be thankful to him. It's your job. Do your job. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, we come into church and we don't, you know, oh, they didn't sing Good Good Father today. You know, two stars, right? You know, you're Yelp reviewing and she's not really ministering right now. I kind of like Pastor Levi or Nadia. They're way better. This freak from who knows where, I'm not down. I don't like his hair either. Zero stars, right? And so we're Yelp reviewing. And the problem, once again, is that you're a priest. It's not about you. It's about him and his. And what we need to do as priests is reverse the order. When we come into church, we need to bring the sacrifice of praise. God, I'm here for you. I don't care what they're singing. They're singing Kumbaya. If they're singing Living on a Prayer by John Bon Jovi, I'm lifting my hands and I'm going to worship you and I'm going to be thankful to you and bless your name. And God, forgive me for making this thing all about myself Please, God, help me see that it's about you and his. And somehow, paradoxically, as we minister to the Lord and we minister to others, we ourselves are refreshed. The book of Proverbs says that he who, uh, uh, you know, he who scatters will himself be refreshed. Um, so it is a, it's paradoxical that as we're giving out, we're receiving. Okay? But church, first and foremost, isn't about you. It's about God because you're a priest and priests 
offer sacrifices. Point number one, God loves Yod. So give God Yod. Give him hands. Give him what he's asked for. Do your job. Be a priest in Jesus' name. Okay? Point number two. God wants Yod with Kabod. God wants Yod with Kabod. Psalm 57, verses 7 to 8, read like this. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake my glory. I will awake, uh, awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. Usually the Bible talks about God's glory. In this section, David's going, I'm, God, I'm going to worship you. And then he says, awake my glory. He begins to talk about his glory. You may or may not know this, but you have a glory. We all have a glory. All glory comes from God. So whatever glory you have is from the Lord. But we all have a glory. David turns to himself and he says, you know, awake my glory. I'm going to, um, and then he begins to talk about his, what his glory is. His harp and his lyre. What do we know about David? He wrote a pile of songs. He was an inventor of instruments. He put bands together. He was a huge worshiper. That was his kabod. It was his glory. The Hebrew word for, for glory is kabod. Right here in this, this passage, it's kabod. Kabod, we inter interpret it as uh, glory, but what it actually literally means in the Hebrew is weight, okay? Uh, the concept basically is like, you know, what you're known for, what you're good at. Um, your weight can be your attention. It can be your focus. It can be, uh, so for example, um, what you're known for. Um, why somebody would call you on the phone and get advice. Um, why somebody would hire you and pay you money for a, some, that's your kabod. That's something that you're, you're, something that you're good at. Your kabod is also your attention. Um, remember your first date, you know, staring at, staring at your, your, you know, your lovely, don't want to miss a thing, right? That's your kabod. It's your attention. One of the ways that I love my wife, Jazzy, is by listening to her psychotic dreams. She has a lot of crazy dreams. And I tend to always hear about them. Um, she has crazy dreams. And and um, so, you know, we'll be driving, let's say. And I know she always wants to tell me about her dreams. I had crazy dreams last night. Typically, I don't want to, you know, sometimes I don't want to hear them because I'm in trouble in them. You know what I mean? Like, you weren't talking to me at a party last night. I'm like, I was sleeping last night. Um, but I'll be driving and she'll be like, I'm like, okay, babe, tell me about your dream, you know? And, and so she'll start telling me, you know, like, uh, there was a velociraptor and I was getting chased in Jurassic Park and, and it was crazy. And I'm like, okay, what, what, what else happened? And then there's a Tyrannosaurus Rex and, and, and it was killing people and it was so scary and I was falling and, and I'm like, wow, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. And then Jasmine will, can tell that I'm not there anymore, you know, driving or whatever. And she'll be like, Nathan, where are you? And God is like a woman. He knows when you're not there. God knows, right? And God wants, you know, your, your, your attention and your dialedness and your spark. I mean, that's what, that's why, you know, we fall in love with each other and, and, you know, there can be people who they have this relationship with God and their weight and their glory and their kabod. You know, there was this girl, I'll give you another example. Um, when I was in New York, I was on staff at this church and 
uh, about four years ago, we're on a Christmas uh, staff retreat. This girl was super administrative. Her kabod is administration. Not the type of person that you look at and go, she dances, okay? You know what I mean? And so we're out, Christmas party, and she, her song comes on. And she starts dancing. And it was the ugliest thing I'd ever seen in my life. It was, but the most, the most, it was the most ugly thing, but the most beautiful thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, and the reason why it was so beautiful is because she was just in it, right? Like, she, you ever seen somebody and like they're going for it and it doesn't look good, but it's just so wonderful because their kabod is there. Like their whole person, their whole heart, their, their life is in that moment. That's kabod. And God knows when our kabod is disconnected. You see, like... God wants hands. He wants the avocado toast, right? But he also wants our hearts. He wants our, our kabod. He wants our glory. Um, and there can be a disconnect. For I'll give you an example. Um, maybe you have a, an ability to, to encourage people. But you, in your worship, you know, it's like when you're worshiping and we have these moments where, you know, we can tell God that we love him or even in your prayer, you know, you're drawing blanks. Man, I could give you, I could tell you, man, that person's really discouraged and upset. And I can give you a pen and paper and you can go and encourage them. You're so articulate. You have this gifting, but there's a disconnect in your worship. And God's going, hey, I want that too. Um, what if God's given you an ability to make money and you are entrepreneurial and you're absolutely brilliant? And so you're, you're giving God the yod, but your money, which represents your hard work and your genius and your strategy and your, and your energy and your focus, you're not giving that to the Lord. And God's going, thanks, thanks for the avocado toast, but I also want your attention too. I want, I want every part of you, right? Because we're in a relationship, right? Joint bank accounts. That's what a relationship looks like with my wife. Like there's no part of me that Jasmine doesn't have access to. And that's what a relationship looks like. God wants Yod, point number one. But God wants Yod with Kabod, point number two. Okay? Point number three. And we're going to wrap this up. Point number three is that um, when you give God yod with kabod, when you give him, you know, hands and, and you, live, you give him what you, you know, those, those things or, or, you know, the sharing what you have, such sacrifices, God is well pleased, etc. Spiritual sacrifices that we're offering to the Lord through Jesus Christ. You're giving him that with your kabod, with your, God, I'm here, you know, and, um, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, there's, I'm giving you access. When you're giving him access, um, you get God with Kabod. When you give God Yod with Kabod, you get God with Kabod. As in, when you're giving God, you know, the hands and the heart, you get, or hands and your glory, you get God with his glory because you see God responds to glory. Glory begets glory. Watch this in James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 8 says this draw near to God, and he will draw near. To you, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. As in, like, yeah, God's every, He's omnipresent, but His glory is not omnipresent, and He makes Himself known tangibly and in manifest ways as we lean into Him. As we lean into Him, now He's already initiated so much of the relationship, right? He's over initiated, but He's looking for some people to go. God, I'm, I receive you, and I'm responding to you. And as we respond to him and we begin to lean into him, God begins to lean into us. See, problematically, I believe that there are so many Christians that never, it's like they, they're mailing it in, right? So they're like, they're, they're doing this, but they're not there, right? Like they, they draw near with their, their lips and their hands. And by the way, draw near with your lips and your hands, but their heart 
is far from him. And God's going, hey, I, I <laughs> don't mail this in. Because if you mail this in, I'm not going to show up. See, God is faithful to not show up when we mail the relationship in. He's not stupid. He knows when you're not there, right? And he's faithful to show up when we show up. Intimacy begets intimacy. There's this principle in the Old Testament. When you look in the Old Testament at all of the altars that are built, when people build the altar the way that God wants, and they put sacrifices on the altar that God has asked for, God always shows up. He is faithful to show up. Man, look at the dedication of the temple. When Solomon's just like, just a gazillion sheep, right? Gazillion goats, right? Like, just like, God, we are showing you that we are so in this thing, right? Like, take our, I just want to show, we're going to give you all these things because we want you to know. And then God shows up. His presence is so thick that the priests couldn't stand, right? When we do, when we bring what he's asked for and we're there, he shows up. He's faithful. And, and you look at all the, all the other altars. God is faithful to not show up when people try to mail it in. His glory is just like, you know, and, and I don't want to risk that. I, I want to be in a relationship with God and I want to experience him. I need his presence. I need his glory in my life. What would your life look like if you began to experience God's leaning in? You see, some of us are like, well, I'm not perfect. Well, God's not looking for perfection. He's just looking for a pulse for people who are going to lean in. The principle of the Old Testament is this, is that every divine, every sacrifice, every acceptable sacrifice has a divine response. Every acceptable sacrifice has a divine response. Every acceptable sacrifice has a divine response. See, now, I don't know about you, but that gets me really stoked because I know this then, that when I lift my hands and I come into church, this isn't just something that we do because we copied it off of like a soccer game, right? And, you know, we, we sing because this is what people do at concerts. No, we're doing this because this is what God has asked for in Psalm 141 verse 2 in Hebrews chapter um, 13. First Peter 2, 5 says that I'm a priest. I'm to offer up spiritual sacrifices. And every acceptable sacrifice has a divine response. That's what I, so I have a confidence then. See, the book of, the, of Hebrews is written to Christians going, hey, I want you to have confidence, have boldness that when you become, come before the throne of grace, you can receive, that God will lean in, right? That God's going to meet you. So as a Christian, when I come into church and I'm going, God, I'm not here for me. I'm here for, to minister to you. And I brought my hands and I brought my thanksgiving. And Father, I brought my money, which rep represents my heart and my time. And it represents my life and my skills. And God, I'm here. And, you know, Lord, sometimes I get distracted in my worship. But God, I want you to know that there's no part of me. I'm, I'm not perfect, God. And I'm, I'm sometimes I'm imperfect in my giving or imperfect in my worship. But I'm leaning in. And you're not looking for perfection, God. You're looking for a pulse. You're looking for a surrendered soul. Somebody who will go, God, I'm in this relationship. And I'm lifting my hands. And I'm lifting my voice to show you that I'm here. And I know that when I do do that, I have a fresh confidence now knowing that as I'm doing that, fire is coming on the altar. I don't know where it's coming. I don't know when it's coming. You know, I, I don't know all of the things that God, I'm only aware of a, probably about 1% of what God's doing in my life, but I know that God is working in my life even when I don't feel it and even when I don't see it. And so I can have a confidence as a spiritual priest going, God, this is acceptable to you. And knowing that this is acceptable to you, I know that you are responding from heaven. That is the confidence that every believer needs to have. And see, it makes church magical then. Because you're not just going in and, you know, listening and, do I like this song? <laughs> do I like this sermon? 
My God, that's a horrible way to go to church. No, the best way to go to the church is as a priest, clothed in robes of righteousness that don't belong to you. They are Jesus's, Jesus Christ's, and you're clothed as a priest, and you're bringing spirit and offering spiritual sacrifices and knowing that God is going to answer with fire. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for Liberty Church. I thank you for what you're doing in their church. And God, I ask you that by your Holy Spirit, you would raise up a church full of priests who know their calling to bring the fire of God to Ottawa, Canada, to bring a move of God and bring a work of God in a fresh way to Canada's capital. God, I ask you that it would sweep Ottawa. Lord, as we begin to stop making everything about ourselves and we begin to worship you, God, I know that as you're lifted up, you draw all men unto yourself. And God, I ask you that we would be a church that repents of being selfish, that repents of religion and mailing it in and being disconnected. And God, I ask you that today would be a day that we step over like almost like a, a, a line of faith. I give you permission at home to, to step over a line. Maybe you've been imperfect in, your, in your, your worship as a priest, but today I give you permission to go, God, I'm repenting of that. And I'm, I'm, I receive my priesthood in a fresh way. Father, would you just give us fresh, prophetic, and biblical eyes to know what is the hope of our calling and to engage in it like never before. Father, I bless this church in Jesus' name, and I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will bring these things to remembrance in Jesus' name and help the Ottawa Senators because they ever need it. Amen. We are so glad you joined us at Liberty City Podcast. Please come check us out on social media and find an event to connect with us. 